Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we have reached Super Bowl week. You know, I was thinking about this on the drive-in. I'm good with numbers, right? Some would say that uh, that's the fantasy football geek in me, but I was doing the math And I remember 177 days ago when the Jacksonville Jaguars began their preseason in Dallas. Do you remember that? That was the Nathan Rourke wild play for the touchdown that got on all the highlight reels. 177 days ago is when the NFL preseason began and the season will officially come to an end on Sunday in Super Bowl 58, almost six months to the day of that Jaguar preseason opener. It has been a long year. That preseason game with that Nathan Rourke touchdown feels like a long, long time ago. And it was 177 days ago. And they will be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, either the Kansas City Chiefs or the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday in Super Bowl 58. We will certainly talk a lot of Super Bowl this week. We'll kick it off tonight. Garrett Padel of CBSSports.com. We'll do certainly some Super Bowl talk. Kansas City, San Francisco, the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid question. If they win another Super Bowl together, what would this do to Brock Purdy if he were to win the Super Bowl? So we'll certainly get into that. But also with Garrett, we're going to do a lot of Jaguar stuff. And to Garrett's credit, he had a lot of what I would call juicy information, right? Juicy tidbits that I'm actually about to talk about with you coming up in one moment. Garrett Padel of CBSSports.com will join us at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. As it always is around here on Monday evenings, it is always Monday night coaching with Campo as well. Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, and we will discuss the Jaguars and Super Bowl 58 with Dave Campo. But let's call a little bit of an audible here, Denmark, before we get to the big deal of the night. We got a little, I guess, late night February 5th breaking news when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This just on Hacker After Dark. No, it's not a big free agent signing. That doesn't officially happen until March the 11th, right? So we're five weeks away from that. But it's a name you'll know. The Jacksonville Jaguars, according to multiple reports, including our buddy Mike DiRocco, DRock at ESPN.com, have signed to a futures contract 
what many people would consider a guy that will go down in Jaguar lore. Riley Patterson is back with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, Riley Patterson, who kicked that game-winning field goal to beat the Chargers in the playoffs last year, was released in May when the Jaguars were able to secure Brandon McManus. But Riley Patterson back in the fold for the time being as he signs a futures contract with the Jaguars tonight. So normally when you sign a guy like this, it's not a big deal, but it's a guy that kicked one of the biggest field goals in Jaguar history that for at least the here and now is back in Jacksonville as the Jaguars bring back Riley Patterson on a futures contract. With that, there is always a big deal of the night here on Hacker After Dark and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So I got a lot of stuff tonight and some conversations that I've had today and over the weekend. And one of the things revolved around Josh Allen. And we did a lot of this last week, and you can rest assured we're going to do a lot of this until we have some clarity on the future of Josh Allen. Again, he is scheduled to become an unrestricted free agent on Monday, March the 11th. I believe you, along with me, along with everybody listening right now, does not expect it to get to that point. I think everybody expects either Allen will be re-signed or will certainly have the franchise tag placed on him if a deal cannot be made. Josh Allen's not going anywhere. So so Monday, March the 11th, there will be a lot of people and a lot of Jaguars hitting the free agent market. I cannot imagine a scenario where Josh Allen is one of them. But in talking to some folks around the league today about Josh Allen, free agency and the type of contract that he's going to get, it was brought to my attention, and this is crazy, the Jacksonville Jaguars had 40 sacks this year. 40. Not bad. Not great, but not bad. Josh Allen accumulated almost 45% of those sacks. One guy had 45% of the sacks for the total defense in 2023. That is an amazing feat by Josh Allen. That is also an embarrassment to pretty much everybody else on the Jaguar defense. Honorable mention to Trayvon Walker with 10, but again, do the math on that. Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker had 27 and a half of the Jaguars' 40 sacks. My Wolfson math will tell me that only 12 and a half sacks this year were made by guys not named Josh Allen or Trayvon Walker. Three and a half for Roy Robertson-Harris. Two and a half for Foyer Oluwakin. Caleb on chase on a career year with two sacks. Sadly, that was a career year. Rayshon Jenkins, Adam Gotsis, Antonio Johnson, and Dewan Smoot, each with a sack. And let's not forget Andre Sisco's half a sack. And that there you go. That's how you get to 40 quarterback sacks. And it got me thinking. Josh Allen, 45% of the Jaguar sacks in 2023 by himself. Can you imagine 
what would have happened had Josh Allen gotten hurt? Can you even begin to imagine what would have happened had Josh Allen not been healthy for all 17 games? You had one guy that got 45% of your sacks on defense. If that guy would have gotten hurt, if he would not have been available to play for whatever reason, holy moly, that would have been an incredible situation for the Jaguar defense. So that alone, I won't say I've changed my stance on Josh Allen, but it got me thinking. I said last week, 17 and a half is probably an outlier. Keep in mind, in 2020, 2021, and 2022 combined, Josh Allen in those three years had 17 and a half sacks. He equaled that here in 2023. But he earned money, man. He earned a lot of money. He was the most valuable player on this team. I don't think there's any arguing that, offense or defense. Christian Kirk missed time. Zay Jones missed time. ETN was somewhat ineffective at times. Lawrence was ineffective. Calvin Ridley wasn't great. You could argue Evan Ingram, and I'll certainly listen to that argument. But Josh Allen was the best player the Jaguars had in 2023. And, you know, we talk about the lack of pass rush, the lack of affecting the opposing quarterback. Good grief. We are just thankful Josh Allen was healthy because after him and after Trayvon Walker, they had nothing in regards to affecting the opposing quarterback. Yeah, the young guys were going to develop, and we believe in the guys in this locker room, and that was all great to hear by Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson. You know, wonderful. Obviously, that did not come to fruition. We knew they had trouble at pass rush. You knew they had trouble at pass rush. Everybody knew they had trouble at pass rush. I guess with the possible exception of the guys making the decisions. But for a team to have 40 sacks and for one guy to have 17 and a half of those, man, the Jaguars were very lucky that Josh Allen had the year he did, or it would have been historically bad for the Jaguars as far as affecting the opposing quarterback. So that's one of the tidbits tonight. Another, the Jaguars are now only the sixth team in NFL well, we can't say history, since the year 2000. So what is that, 23 years? The Jaguars, the sixth team in the last 23 seasons that started 8-3 and three that missed the playoffs. I thought that was interesting. And then the draft, right? We're doing a lot of draft talk. We're going to have draft guys on this week. 54 players declared for the NFL draft as a junior or sophomore out of college, 54 here in 2023. You compare that to over 140 guys that did it in 2019, just five years ago. You want to talk about the power of NIL? You want to talk about the power of the transfer portal? You want to talk about the power of the COVID year and the 60-year seniors and everything you can do in college football now? I think that speaks volumes. 140 guys declared for the draft in 2019. 54 did it here in 2024. 
an absolutely gigantic difference. And I think you're going to see that in the draft. The more guys that I'm talking to, they talk about it being top-heavy, right? Certainly some talent, round one, round two, round three. Boy, when you get into rounds four and five and six, I think you're going to see that. It's not the deepest draft. When you have 90 less guys that declared from just, say, five years ago, you maybe won't find the value in round five or round six or round seven that you could find four, five, six years ago. And talking to a couple of guys that cover the draft every day, they think you're going to see a lot of draft picks being traded to next year. They think you're going to see a lot of teams wanting to get out of rounds four, five, and six and wanting to accumulate picks for the 2025 draft, which is projected to be much deeper because next year a lot of the COVID stuff will be out of the way and a lot more guys will be in the draft process. When it comes to the Jaguars, I know there's an infatuation with Jackson Powers Johnson, right, the center from Oregon. Denmark, there is no question that there has never been a more popular player from the state of Oregon in Jacksonville, Florida, than this center has been. Every Jaguar blog, Jaguar guy I have on, media colleague, has mentioned something about this center from Oregon. So I'm asking all these guys I'm having on, what about Johnson from Oregon? And boy, it's all over the board. Some people like him. Some people don't like him. I literally had somebody today say that he compares to Luke Fortner, and that was not a good comparison. Not a good comparison. But I know you guys are talking about interior O-line, interior D-line, and those are the questions I'm going to bring to these draft guys. Again, we started last week. We'll have more on this week. As all eyes now on the draft, the Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror, the Combine is in a couple of weeks, pro days after that, as we are well, well into draft season. 641-1010 on the text line. Designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to get involved, that is your way to do it. Coming up in less than 40 minutes, Garrett Padell of CBSSports.com. We will talk Jaguars. We will also obviously look at Super Bowl 58. Coming up next, it's Monday night. And around here, that means Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's with us every Monday evening. Let's talk about Josh Allen. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk the coaching carousel, which is officially over now, right? Dan Quinn, the former Gator DC, gets the job in Washington. And how about this for a change? Eight job openings in the NFL this year. Head coaching openings, five defensive guys hired. Raheem Morris in Atlanta, Gerard Mayo in New England, Antonio Pierce with the Raiders, McDonald in Seattle, the former Baltimore D.C., and Dan Quinn in Washington. Five of the eight go to defensive coaches. You know what that is to me? That is a direct effect of what D'Amico Ryans did in Houston this year. You don't necessarily need to have the up-and-coming hot offensive coordinator to be your head coach. Defensive guys can get it done as well. People saw what Ryans did, and now all of a sudden, a lot more defensive guys are getting head coaching jobs. Dave Campo was a defensive guy. I'll ask him about that, and we will certainly get the head coach's thoughts on the Chiefs and the 49ers. It is a Monday night edition 
of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. Dave Campo, next, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. What started in early September ends on Sunday. Super Bowl 58, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers out there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's break down the Super Bowl. Let's break down the coaching carousel, which was a lot different in the NFL than in recent years. Let's also touch upon some Jaguars as well with my buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo right here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how we doing? Doing great. Uh, you know, of course, of a, kind of a slow weekend with no football, but uh, I did get a chance to watch Kansas basketball beat number four in the nation, uh, Houston. So, I had a little something to watch, and I'm not a big Pro Bowl watcher. So uh, I'm, I'm old school, you know, watching the game rather than a bunch of guys running around. And listen, especially, Hack, when Dan Orlovsky, uh, who was a backup quarterback in the league for 11 years, is now a broadcaster, beats all of the Pro Bowl quarterbacks in the throwing contest. Yeah, I saw that. For people that didn't see it, Orlovsky goes out there in a suit and tie, basically, in that precision passing drill and scored more points than every Pro Bowl quarterback <laughs> that was out there. That might have been the highlight of the weekend, no question about it. Coach, let's talk about briefly some of the Jaguars that were down there, and obviously it revolves around Josh Allen. We're getting close to the franchise tag situation. We're about three weeks away from the franchise tag that could be handed out to Josh Allen. He says he wants to be in Jacksonville, although he also said that they need to talk, meaning that they really haven't talked yet about an extension. What do you make of all this with Josh Allen about three weeks out from that franchise tag? Well, I, you know, again, I think that's a mistake. I, I think that they should at least be talking. Now, we don't know for sure whether or not that's just posturing and you know, all that kind of thing. I, you know, I would think that they would have at least called and say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to get something done. Let's work on it, and uh, we'll come up with an equitable situation. But if they're not talking to them, you know, that brings the, uh, the tag into, into the picture, and, and then you can always get a deal done. But I think that they would be better off, in my opinion, of signing him and then try to work, you know, uh, try to work out maybe the franchise tag with Ridley or something like that. Players do not like the franchise tag, Coach. I've talked to a number of them over the years. It's very little security. It's one year. It's not any long-term you know, guarantee or anything like that. From a coaching standpoint, a front office standpoint, how do NFL teams view the franchise tag? Well, the franchise tag they view, you know, as players is, is probably that view. You know, I think that, you know, there's always a chance of somebody getting hurt you know, on that tag and, and then, uh, you know, the career being over or whatever, not a lot of guarantees. Uh, you know, I can understand that completely, except for the fact that they're getting paid pretty handsomely for that one year and they still get an opportunity to go back into free agency the next year. But from an organizational standpoint, that's just a, uh, a tool, you know, that can be used. You know, for example, if they, if they franchise, uh, uh, Josh Allen with a wink uh, and a smile, you know, they can still get 
that deal done before the end of the year, and it, it just gives them some more time. So it's just a tool for the franchise, for the uh, the franchise. But again, uh, the players are not real happy with it because of the longevity situation. Head coach Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, final Josh Allen topic. I brought this up last week. Josh Allen in years 2020, 2021, and 2022 combined for 17 and a half sacks. He got 17 and a half sacks this past year. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're the organization, I mean, it's easy for the fans to say, give him whatever he wants, pay him top five, you know, defensive end money, and that's all fine and well. But if you're the organization, don't you have to at least consider that Josh Allen had his best year by far and away of his career, and that might be an outlier? Well, I would look at it this way. I think you really have to compare what he did this year with with what's out there if you're going to try to get somebody else and also uh, where he fits within the top guys because there's reasons, for example, of not getting a a bunch of sacks in a given year. I think the addition of uh, Trayvon Walker helped him. I I think that that, you know, changes the dynamic. I don't think he had anybody – on the you know away from him to to kind of uh, merit some uh, guys looking at him, uh, and this year you, you had the the two guys that that combined for for an awful lot of sacks. I think that helps. I think there's a, a an urgency uh, definitely that you know this is a big year, but uh, you know I think there's a little trepidation with it. But in reality, I don't think it works that way. I think you really have to look at the guy and say, hey, what is he worth to us? And what are we willing to pay for him, regardless of what he did two years ago? Uh, he did it this year, and if, if we've got to look at not letting our best players out of here. And again, we'll get some clarity on this sooner rather than later. The NFL free agent market opens up 35 days from today, which is crazy to think about, and the franchise tag has to be handed out before then, so we're inside of a month before that has to happen. Again, Dave Campo here with us, Monday night coaching with Campo. Coach, I know you being a defensive guy, it had to do your heart some good to see the eight NFL head coaching openings. Five of the eight went to defensive guys, right? Raheem Morris in Atlanta, Mike McDonald in Seattle, Gerard Mayo in New England, Antonio Pierce certainly with the Las Vegas Raiders, and then finally Dan Quinn a guy you know very well, going to the Washington Commanders. What do you make of the defensive resurgence in head coaches this offseason? Well, I think people, you know, realize that you're not just going to win every game on offense. You know, there's a lot of variables there, but you should be pretty solid on defense. And I think that, you know, coaching goes a little bit in cycles. You know, you got a bunch of offensive guys one year, you got a bunch of defensive guys the next year. I think it really depends – if, if you want a guy that's going to uh, run the, the team and call the plays and you feel comfortable with that, then you, you probably go with a young offensive coordinator that has that's called the plays, and, and when you feel good with the interviews, you, you make that decision. But remember, the, head, the assistant coaches are the guys that do all the work. The head coaches, unless he's calling an offense or a defense, Uh, he's uh, just running the show. He's a CEO. He's bringing in the guys to work with him. Uh, He's, you know, getting the culture set within the program based on how he talks and how he 
uh, has done in the past. So I really think it comes down to, you know, you look at it, you say, okay, well, we've got a pretty good offense here. You know, we're going to go out and get us a defensive coach that can kind of, you know, get that side of the ball uh, fixed a little bit, and then you move on. So I think it's cyclical. And, you know, if, if they're looking for good young coaches right now, and, and that's why guys like Belichick and and uh, uh, the guy from Seattle. Uh, yeah, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll don't get, don't get in right now. It's a young man's game. And, uh, you know, I think it goes from cycles from year to year. And perhaps it's just a coincidence, but D'Amico Ryans comes on the scene, had just recently played not all that long ago, was a D coordinator in San Francisco, gets the job in Houston, and is going to be the coach of the year. And now you see Gerard Mayo. Now you see Antonio Pierce. You mentioned a copycat league. I wonder what D'Amico Ryans did in Houston if that affected some of these decisions. I, I don't think there's any question. You know, I think that, uh, listen, one thing that, that people don't always realize is the media and what it looks like means a lot to the owners, especially the ones that are not actively involved, you know, in the, in the everyday workings of the ball club. So, you know, whoever gets the most uh, pub a lot of times is on the minds and then it comes down to one interview. And, and I think that when you have a guy that turns the program around, it's a solid defensive guy that, that really understands the, the, the total picture, not just how many yards they can throw for, or, you know, uh, how many points they can score. Uh, those guys have a chance and, and I'm happy for the defensive guys for sure. But I think D'Amico definitely has a factor because everybody's seeing them on TV. It is Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. All right, Coach, that gets us to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas on Sunday, Kansas City and San Francisco. Before we dive into the game, just a broad overview, Coach, your initial thoughts on this matchup Sunday evening. Well, you know, I really think that they're similar teams from the standpoint that uh, I believe both of them can run the football. Uh, You know, San Francisco, probably from a physical standpoint, running the ball might be a little different with McCaffrey than than Kansas City is. You know, I think uh, San Francisco's offensive line might be a little bit better than Kansas City's. But, you know, Kansas City can run the ball with Pacheco. Uh, he's a, a violent runner, and they use him. You know, he has an opportunity to make plays both in the run and the passing game. So they're similar from that standpoint. I, you know, obviously Kansas City, in my opinion, has a little bit of an edge at the quarterback position because I, I think it's very difficult to bet against uh, Patrick Mahomes. You know, you look at the two in the postseason and Purdy's averaging uh, like 61% and Mahomes is 68%. That's a significant difference uh, in, in, you know, percentage of completions and that type of thing. So I think there there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. Receiver core-wise, you know, I think maybe overall San Francisco has a little bit of an edge. They've got a good tight end. Uh, they, Debo Samuel is is a, is a, a big-time player. Ayuk is playing very well. McCaffrey out of the backfield. But at the same time, how do you bet against Kelsey and, and uh, Rice? I mean, those guys have, you know, been stellar for uh, Kansas City. So when you look at the two teams – 
I just think maybe Kansas City's a little bit more diversified, but uh, it's going to be an interesting ball game. You know, we always talk about Steve Spagnuolo this time of year and Andy Reid and that coaching staff and all the success they've had. And I understand that Kyle Shanahan has coached in very big games. Obviously, he was a coordinator in Atlanta when they blew the 28-3 game, but they did score 28 on New England, so he has Super Bowl experience. But how much does experience in games like this matter? Because Kansas City certainly has a lot more of it than San Francisco does. I think it makes a difference. I think in the preparation and getting ready for the ball game, you know, if you haven't, you know, you've been through it, you you understand uh, the, the pressures and the, uh, the overall media attention and all that stuff, I think it does make a difference. At the same time, you know, when we went in in 92, we didn't have any experience, but we, you know, the, the, the guys on the team make a big difference. And I think it's the confidence level of the football team. Uh, I think, you know, the experience of the head coach makes uh, some difference. Uh, but uh, when it's all said and done, it's the team that's ready and makes the least amount of ta- uh, mistakes in those ball games. You know, you start talking about three Super Bowl rings for quarterbacks. Mahomes is already in rarefied air, and it will just continue. I mean, he would join the likes of Bradshaw, Montana, your guy, Troy Aikman, obviously, you know, Tom Brady as three-time Super Bowl winners. I mean, what is your thought on Mahomes? And clearly, Coach, he looks like he's had a chip on his shoulder the last couple of weeks. He's looked very determined and wins over Buffalo and Baltimore to get to this point. Well, you know, there was some uh, chatter going on around that that uh, maybe Allen from Buffalo and Lamar Jackson was better than he is. And so I think that chip was on the shoulder from that standpoint. But it's you, what he's done uh, since he's been in the league, it's hard to bet against him. You know, he's one of those guys that just seems when things are on the line, he doesn't get rattled and he finds a way to, to get the job done. And, and to me, that's a, a big factor. Uh, I, you know how I feel about the quarterback position, how important it is. Uh, I think that, for example, I think he begs guys to blitz him. You know, come on, I'm going to get the ball somewhere, and it's probably going to be a pretty good play. Whereas when you look at Purdy, uh, Purdy has a little bit of problem with the blitz, even though he's a very good processor and all those kind of things. So uh, I really think Mahomes has the edge because of that, and I think he does have a little chip on his shoulder, especially the way they started. They started a little bit slow, and now they're running on all cylinders, and I think that makes as big a difference as anything. Final moments with head coach Dave Campo. From the San Francisco side of this coach, you could legitimately argue they were outplayed by Green Bay, yet they found a way to win the game. You could argue they were outplayed by Detroit, yet they found a way to win the game. There's something to be said for that, although they're going to have to play immensely better against Kansas City if they want the same result. Well, I think uh, Spagnolo, you know, has a, a real good feel for the for what he, his defense can do in the plan going in. So I think that uh, Purdy's going to have to have a solid, solid game. No, no mistakes. I think if I look at the two teams, I think Kansas City could afford a couple of bad plays more than San Francisco could afford some bad plays. But when you look at their their talent. Uh, if Debo Samuel is 100%, he's a game breaker. 
So, you know, there's good players. They, either one of them wouldn't be in the Super Bowl if they didn't have guys that could make game-breaking plays. And so it, I think it's going to be a really good football game. Uh, and, and when you look at Purdy, everybody calls him a game manager, but the two runs that he made in the championship game probably won the game for them. So, you know, to me, it's going to be a good football game, and I, I'm excited about this one. I think it's going to go down to the wire. Before we get a prediction out of you, Coach, you got three Super Bowl rings on your finger. You were a part of three world championship staffs with the Dallas Cowboys. You've been in those locker rooms, in those stadiums, just prior to the kickoff of the Super Bowl. I mean, what is that going to be like for these guys on Sunday morning, heading into the afternoon, and ultimately when the game is kicked off? Well, it's an exciting uh, ball game. I mean, you know, to know that you're going to have well over $100 million, I don't know what it is now. It was, I think it was $100 million when we played. Uh, watching the game, uh, everybody in the world, basically, that's a, a fan is going to be watching the football game. So I think there's a little bit of – nervousness but I, I really think that the excitement is more than the nervousness uh, I, I, one of the things that I remember very distinctly about our first one and, and for the younger players I guarantee it's gonna it's gonna feel like this uh, when those jets hit that stadium uh, I don't think there was a, a dry eye on the football team and it, it was almost like there was so much adrenaline going that we felt like, I think they felt like they could jump up and grab one of those jets. Uh, so it's an exciting uh, situation. And especially for the younger guys, uh, the team that has the best poise, though, will win the football game. All right, Coach, who wins the Lombardi Trophy? Who's celebrating on Sunday night? Well, I'm a firm believer as a, a champion is a champion until they're not. And so I'm going with Kansas City. I think they're diversified in what they can do. I really do think that there's a big uh, plus for Andy Reid and Spagnola on defense. So I'm I'm looking to that the veteran quarterback in a in a key situation uh, making a play to win the football game. And if that comes to fruition, we're talking dynasty at that point, right, for the Chiefs? Absolutely, absolutely. You know they called us uh, in the, with the Cowboys, the team of the '90s. Uh, I, I'm. <laughs> This team is for the last five to six years has been as good as any uh, in football. So it's going to be an interesting finish. Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark is my buddy Dave Campo. He's with us every week here on 1010XL. Coach, enjoy the ball game. We'll be back next week to review what we hope is a great Super Bowl 58. Appreciate you, my friend. Always enjoy it, Hack. You have a great uh, weekend and, and – uh, Let's see what happens, and let's hope that uh, the team sitting right here in Jacksonville is going to feel like this next year. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Glad you're with us. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Oh, the controversy in Super Bowl 58 is already well underway. People are saying, oh, this is going to be rigged for Kansas City. They want the confetti falling when Travis Kelsey embraces Taylor Swift on Sunday in Las Vegas. So apparently, the Kansas City Chiefs this week get to use the nice, plush accommodations that the Las Vegas Raiders get to use during the year. Beautiful, state-of-the-art practice facilities, beautiful area, 
they got it all for the Chiefs, practicing, ironically enough, in their arch-rival's house there, the Raiders. Meanwhile, San Francisco, the stepchild of this game, has been outcast to the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and is having to use the UNLV stuff, which apparently has not met their liking as San Francisco reportedly has had issues with the field out there at UNLV, and they are not happy with it. So you can tell this stuff is going to just keep matriculating all week. Not that the Chiefs need any help. But yeah, it would be a uh, fairy tale ending, right? For Taylor Swift to be on the field as the confetti is falling in the arms of Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey and, and that whole family and Patrick Mahomes and this, that, and the other. You know, I, I am not a big 49er fan. In fact, after they absolutely humiliated the Jaguars, I'm really not a big 49er fan. But I'm tempted just to root for them to avoid that. That would be awful, right? I'm so over the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey stuff. Even though, I'll tell you this much, I've discovered that podcast that Travis does with his brother, Jason Kelsey, and I've become a fan of that. The New Heights podcast, I really like that. I'll tell you who's a big fan of that is my wife. H squared loves herself some Travis and Jason Kelsey. And she's not a Swifty. She she actually doesn't really care that much for Taylor Swift. But all she's talking about is the New Heights podcast with Travis and Jason Kelsey. And she's listening to it every Wednesday. I'm just like, good grief, honey. She wants me to get her a T-shirt for that podcast. I'm like, man, whatever. But it is interesting that the Chiefs get the Raiders, the NFL caliber practice facility, 49ers get UNLVs. Yikes. So I thought that was odd. I'll tell you another odd story making the rounds today in the National Football League. Diana Rossini, very well-respected NFL reporter, was with ESPN for years, is now with The Athletic. She was talking about all the head coaching vacancies being filled now, right? Eight jobs were open. Eight jobs have now been filled that Dan Quinn got the job in Washington. One of the guys that did not get a job that interviewed for a lot of them was Mike Vrabel. You guys remember Mike Vrabel very well. He ended your season 29 days ago. Six years in Tennessee, I believe he won 54 games. Got to an AFC championship game, was the NFL coach of the year, what, two years ago? I love Mike Vrabel. But you want to talk about a weird story. Get a load of this from Diana Rossini earlier today. Quote, I don't think there was a fit for him when asked about Vrabel and why he didn't get a job. I don't think he sat in front of any owner who thought that his style was going to work for what they were looking for. I had a general manager, this is Rossini talking, I had a general manager at the Senior Bowl who mentioned to me Vrabel's physical build, that he's a very large human being and can be very intimidating to people in an organization that are going to be part of these decisions. 
and that is a factor. Are you kidding? I hope that GM had had some brown water and was messing around. Because Mike Vrabel is a huge guy, a former NFL linebacker, that is, quote, intimidating to some decision makers, and that played a factor in the process. Happy the Lions didn't have that mindset when it came to Dan Campbell. I've often said, Denmark, if you have a battle royal with all 32 NFL head coaches, Dan Campbell's going to be left, Mike Vrabel's going to be left, and may the best man win. Now Dan Campbell's got an easy time of it. He'll just, he's going to throw everybody out that Vrabel's not a head coach. But I truly hope that's not the case, that somebody's physical build being essentially too muscular, right, too big, is going to play and weigh on the mind of these NFL decision makers? Yikes. But again, Rossini said she heard that from a GM at the Senior Bowl. Again, I'm happy Vrabel's out of Tennessee. I think that's a mistake for the Titans. Now, Titans media, Titan fans, oh, you would think Brian Callahan is a combination of Vince Lombardi and Bill Belichick and Andy Reid. They think they have the best guy on planet Earth, and good for them, right? Offseason is the month of hope, as we talk about and we will continue to talk about. Everybody's hopeful right now. Reality sets in in September. So let our brethren in Nashville have their hope. But to me, they're way over the top on Brian Callahan, a guy that's never been a head coach. When you fired a guy in Mike Vrabel that was coach of the year just two years ago. Garrett Purdell, CBSSports.com, talking more NFL coming up in less than 10 minutes. Quickly before we get to Garrett, Florida basketball over the weekend figures, right? That figures. You have an absolutely gigantic win over Kentucky in Rupp Arena in overtime, coming off an emotional overtime win against Georgia. You're riding high. You're five and three in the conference, fifteen and six overall. Todd Golden's biggest win as the Gator basketball coach. And what do you do? You go into College Station to play an average Texas A&M team, and you're up ten in the second half, and you completely blow it. You completely blow it. You don't get off anything resembling a good shot with 30 seconds left, and A&M beats you by one. Absolutely ridiculous. But what I've found, Denmark, is I've become more an objective broadcast journalist in my old age. I like looking at fans' reactions to losses in particular. And Gator fans were uh, saying how the game didn't matter. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You got that quad one win. Yeah, we beat Kentucky. The loss to AM doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. Oh, yeah? Doesn't matter, huh? By the way, those same people 20 minutes prior were talking about what a big win this was going to be. Big resume-building victory. So in 20 minutes, you go from a big resume-building victory to the game doesn't matter? That's what makes sports great. Whatever makes you sleep better at night. All I know is this. Florida basketball squandered a huge opportunity on Saturday. Whether the game, quote, mattered or not is up for you to decide. What I'm telling you is that the Gators had a huge opportunity to win a conference road game, 
and they absolutely blew it. Blew it. And we'll see what happens. They don't play again until Saturday when Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers come to Gainesville, Florida. One hour down, one hour to go, Jacksonville. We are with you until 10 o'clock tonight. We're glad you're with us. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Coming up next, Garrett Podell, CBSSports.com. Out in Vegas, let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk Super Bowl 58 and more. Garrett Podell, CBS Sports, next on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 coming up Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers out in Las Vegas, Nevada. We will certainly get to that game. Of course, if you're a team like Jacksonville, you're a month into the offseason already. Pretty crazy to think about. An NFL free agency, believe it or not, is one month from the end of the Super Bowl. It begins Monday, March the 11th. With all that being said, let me welcome in Garrett Podell of CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Garrett, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Super Bowl week filled with some juicy storylines. We got a rematch from the 2019 season. And, uh, of course, plenty to talk about with your Jags. Excited to get into it with you. Yeah, there's a lot to get into with the Super Bowl, and we'll do that in just a moment. Garrett, the last time you and I spoke was before the holidays, and at that point, Jacksonville was in the midst of the collapse. It hadn't fully uh, had the conclusion yet, but five out of six, they lose, uh, go from eight and three to missing the postseason. Garrett, from your thoughts, covering it from a national basis there for CBS Sports, it's been a month now. What happened here in Jacksonville? I think that's a great question, Ryan, because you referenced the last time we spoke. And the last time we spoke, I was trying to talk you down off the ledge a little bit, saying, hey, they've got the tiebreakers. They can still win the division. And then they go out and uh, lose to a Titans team in which they were a three-and-a-half-point favorite against who didn't have much to play for. Now we're talking collapse. And, and yeah, it was, an, it was a horrendous collapse because they became the sixth team since the turn of the 21st century in 2000 to miss the postseason after an eight and three start, as you mentioned, losing five out of six. So obviously that's horrendous. So I'd say there's a number of factors that all kind of snowballed on each other. So first you look at the quarterback, right? Trevor Lawrence, he played through a bunch of injuries. I think he had concussion. He had a couple other uh, nicks and bruises. And so he had playing through those injuries, 10 turnovers in the last four games, of the regular season which is the most in the NFL in that span. So that's bad. But then you look, well, why was that? So then what's going to help an injured quarterback? The run game, right? Let's take some pressure off a guy playing through some stuff. And so I dug into their run game and surface level, you look at what Travis Etienne did this year. He had 1,484 scrimmage yards, which among running backs was the fifth most in the NFL. So you look at that and say, oh, well, that was really good. But scrimmage yards also accounts for receiving. But then when you look at the run game specifically for Jacksonville, so their rush yards per game, they were under 100. And uh, that number ranked them in the bottom 10 in the league. They were 24th, averaging 96.8 points per game. So that's bad. But then when we look at the underlying analytics to it, you look at rush rushing expected points added per game. So basically to dumb that down, what's the value your run game's adding for you? 
So the Jags ranked dead last, last out of 32 teams in rushing game expected points added uh, per contest. So that is horrendous. And then rushing success uh, per game, that was 30th out of 32 teams. So Trevor Lawrence, yes, he didn't close the season well. Played through some injuries. He desperately needed some help from the run game, and he did not get it. Well, that's the interesting thing, and Garrett Fidel of CBSSports.com. You know, normally an offensive line can be good pass blockers and maybe struggle in the run, or they're good run blockers and struggle in the pass. No, the offensive line here just wasn't good at anything uh, the last month <laughs> and a half. It was all bad. Uh, Trevor was getting killed, and they weren't running the ball anywhere. So I think clearly a top priority is that O-line, and that just speaks to something that we talked about during the year. You know, you can have all these great players from Kirk to Jones to ETN to Ridley, Ingram, obviously Trevor, you name it, but your offense is only as good, Garrett, as your offensive line, and the Jaguar offensive line, quite frankly, was bad to end the season. Yeah, that'll that'll doom you each and every time. I mean, when you look in the playoffs, a lot of these games are being determined by the pressure that opposing defenses can put on quarterbacks. Uh, I can talk about that with you in a little bit about what the Chiefs did to Lamar Jackson to get to the Super Bowl and some things like that. But, uh, and speaking of pressure, that's another area defensively where I think Jacksonville can evolve and improve upon because obviously Josh Allen, the defensive lineman for Jacksonville, had a phenomenal season. 17 and a half sacks, tied for the second most in the entire league last year, which set a team single season record pressures, same thing, super successful, 90 quarterback pressures, fifth most in the league, trailing only the elite of the elite, Micah Parsons, Aiden Hutchinson, Nick Bosa, Mass Crosby. So he's in that upper echelon tier one of pass rusher when it comes to creating pressures and sacks. But so his 17 and a half sacks accounted for 44% of Jacksonville's team sacks last year which is the highest rate in the NFL. So what that tells me is need to get this guy a pass rushing running mate. I know they spent the number one overall pick on, on Trayvon Walker and they'd like to see him develop, but they need some more juice uh, opposite him in, in, in the pass rush game. If they're going to really flummox uh, some of the quarterbacks that you face in the AFC, which is a gauntlet. No, I completely agree. Now to Trayvon Walker's credit, I thought amidst the collapse, he's one of the guys that came on towards the end of the year. He ended up finishing with 10 sacks. But after those two, I think the third guy on the team with sacks had like three. I mean, it was Josh Allen, it was Trayvon Walker, and there was a dramatic drop-off. So to your point, they need to get more guys that can affect the quarterback. No question about it. Garrett, in the AFC South this offseason, we've seen a new head coach in Tennessee and Brian Callahan. The Jaguars brought in a new D coordinator in Ryan Nielsen. Let's spend one minute with with each of those. First to Nielsen. Now, I'm not going to ask you to break down the X's and O's of the Falcon defense last year, but the Falcon defense did affect the quarterback. They got a lot of sacks. So Ryan Nielsen coming to Jacksonville, replacing Mike Caldwell, who was fired at the end of the year, that should get fans fired up, I think, that this is an aggressive mindset and he's going to bring an aggressive style defense here to Duval County. Yeah, I thought that was a home run hire, Ryan, because of exactly what you said. The the pass rush for the Falcons, it improved tremendously. You credit some of that to Nielsen, some of that to Atlanta spent a ton of money in the in the offseason on bringing in 
improved, upgraded defensive personnel. You look at safety Jesse Bates. You look at uh, defensive lineman David Onyemata, Caden Elis, on down the line. They really upgraded in personnel. But, yeah, I, I think Atlanta took a big step forward with Nielsen at D.C., and I thought that was one of the top guys that they could have hired in terms of coordinators who were available uh, this offseason. So I, I'm, if I'm a Jacksonville fan, I'm pretty excited about the hire. And, and like you said, um, it comes down to also what, what does the coordinator have to work with? And Atlanta really restocked Nielsen's cupboard last offseason. And so Jacksonville, I feel like, definitely needs to do the same. Garrett Padel of CBS Sports. Dot com Of the eight head coaching openings in the NFL, Garrett, five were defensive guys that were hired. It was a drastic change from what we've seen, right? The up-and-coming offensive guy, well, that was no longer the case, at least this coaching cycle. With the exception of a couple of spots, one of those spots was Tennessee, Jacksonville's mm-hmm. arch rival that ended the Jaguar season about a month ago. They fired Mike Vrabel, which, quite frankly, I couldn't believe. And they hire Brian Callahan. And what's interesting about that is you watch Titans media and Titan fans on social media, and they think Brian Callahan's the greatest thing on earth. And then I got national guys on my same timeline basically saying, you fired Mike Vrabel for Brian Callahan. I mean, what's your thought on that hire in Nashville? I I think – Ryan, I'm not going to come in here sounding like Stephen A. Smith with you on this. I'm probably going to be a little bit more in the middle because um, Callahan does deserve credit for helping scheme up what the Bengals did in 2021 and 2022 with a healthy Joe Burrow in which, uh, you know, their offense had the highest completion percentage in the NFL, the highest quarterback pass rating in the NFL. They were tied for the second most passing touchdowns in the NFL in the last two seasons, excluding this 2023 when Burrow was healthy. So I think some of that, you know, comes to Callahan's credit. Now, of course, Zach Taylor's the one calling the plays, but at the same time, we've seen some other coordinators make the rise to head coach and begin calling plays as a head coach and that work out. Um, I, I think he's a, he's a solid hire. Vrabel was clearly very successful in, in Tennessee. And, and I think you read some of the stuff that's getting reported about Vrabel's departure. And a lot of it seems to stem from uh, disagreement with player personnel and roster building between Vrabel, potentially Rand Carthon up in Tennessee. So, so it's hard to really evaluate because you don't know all the details of the machinations of what's Vrabel's, you know, conflict with, uh, some front office execs behind closed doors. But I think Calhan is a solid hire. I'm very curious to see how they shape this offense around Will Levis. And I saw in an interview that Brian Callahan said, oh, we'd like to bring Derrick Henry back. But Derrick Henry at his stage of his career pushing 30, that he's probably going to want to go to a team that he sees as a contender immediately. So I don't know that he'll be back in Nashville next year, which if you're a Jacksonville fan, that's music to your ears. I, I think it's a solid hire, but I'd put it in the wait and see just because I'm, I'm curious to see what who is Will Levis throwing to in 2024 and sort of what's their offensive ecosystem looking like without Derrick Henry. Yeah, the absolutely crazy thing is you look in the AFC South, now Doug Peterson is the longest tenured head coach, and he's going to be entering year three. You got Steichen and D'Amico Ryans will be entering year two with Indy and Houston, and Callahan will be in his first year in Nashville That's the way the NFL is now, man. It is a quick turnaround for these head coaches if you don't produce. 
Uh, two guys that have produced are playing on Sunday in Super Bowl 58 as we're wrapping things up with Garrett Padell of CBSSports.com, Andy Reid in Kansas City, Kyle Shanahan, San Francisco, as you mentioned. Garrett, a rematch of Super Bowl 54. Your thoughts on the Chiefs and the 49ers coming up on Sunday? I'm really excited for the chess match between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Spagnolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator. I actually had a piece come out uh, today about what Spagnolo has done with the Kansas City defense this year and how now this is Spagnolo is a three-time Super Bowl champion defensive coordinator with the New York Giants when his squad stopped the 18 and 0 Patriots in the Super Bowl back in the 2007 season and then the two with Kansas City in 19 and last season and I, I made a case today for CBSSports.com that this Kansas City defense that Spags has now could be his best ever that he has coordinated uh, based on the points they allow, the different uh, blitz packages that they run, their ability to be multiple one week. They're blitzing like crazy, like they did against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. First two rounds of postseason, not really blitzing much at all against Tua Tungavailoa and Josh Allen. So I would love to see that matchup against what Shanahan is doing with Debo Samuel, the best running back in football, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, who was a second team all pro George Kittle was a first team all pro and sort of how that chess match evolves, the different personnel grouping Shanahan uses getting Kyle Juszczyk involved at the fullback spot, but also sometimes lining him up at wide receiver tight end. i that is to me, must see TV uh, chiefs D verse 49ers. L. and then of course you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side. So it's going to be an incredible matchup. And that's the thing with Mahomes and Andy Reid. I mean, Garrett, if they win on Sunday, obviously they still won't have the numbers of Belichick and Brady. And I don't know if anybody will ever get to six like Belichick and Brady got in New England. But good grief, man, if Reid and Mahomes get their third one, is there a conversation there uh, that they're, you know, right in the conversation with Belichick and Brady as the greatest head coach slash quarterback combo of all time? I'm, I'm really hesitant normally, Ryan, to go there. But given all the success they've had, I mean, every single season and Mahomes being the starting quarterback since 2018, they at least make the AFC title game. And Mahomes is going to be – he'll be 29 next September. So this man is not even 30, and he could be halfway to what uh, Belichick and Brady accomplished in New England. I think we have to start having the conversation, to be honest with you. Uh, just the way that, I mean, I think this season in particular has really shown what Mahomes can do when it's not all right. And what I mean by that, I mean, this was year two without Tyreek Hill. They won the Super Bowl in year one without Tyreek Hill last year. But this year, uh, the wide receiver group led the NFL in drops per game among wide receiver groups in the NFL in the regular season. Outside of Travis Kelsey, you had the developing Rasheed Rice, who's a second-round pick out of SMU, who's played really well this year. And uh, a player I actually got to scout at his pro day uh, out here in Dallas um, when he was coming out of the draft. He's a great player. But struggles at wide receiver, Darius Tony drops, and here they are in the Super Bowl. I, I think what the conversation is definitely needs to be had if they win this game, and they're at three, and Mahomes is 29 years old. Garrett, who wins the game on Sunday? Who's hoisting the Lombardi Trophy Sunday night? Ryan, I think when you look on paper, you look at all these different metrics, and a lot of analytics point the 49ers' direction. 
But at this point, Mahomes to me has earned the benefit of the doubt that I just I just don't want to be on the record betting against him. And plus, if you read my piece on CBSSports.com about what Spagnolo's doing with the Chiefs defense, that defense with Mahomes on one side, I can't count out the Chiefs. Give me Kansas City. I tend to agree with you. I think that's the way I'm leaning as well. Garrett Padell of CBSSports.com. Garrett, you mentioned some of your stories that are already out. You got some coming up, certainly, as we get closer to kickoff. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville what they can look forward to there at CBSSports.com. Absolutely. Well, I have two that are out today that you can go find on CBSSports.com. One is how Chiefs DC Steve Spagnuolo has engineered another Super Bowl caliber defense that could be his best yet. So that's a deep, in-depth look at the Chiefs D. And then we have, has Brock Purdy finally shed the game manager label? Or does the 49ers QB need to defeat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl to do that? So I kind of did, you know, there's been some hot takes about, is he game manager, is he not? So I did, here's the case for, here's the case against, and a little conclusion to where you can kind of interpret both sides of the argument and kind of see where I land on it. And then you can make your own uh analysis from there but i think those two are are ones that people may find interesting and then later in the week i've got some stuff for friday that's going to be a deep dive breakdown what i alluded to earlier a head-to-head analysis of spags d shanahan's O, which play caller has the edge so that's going to be friday you have some bold predictions friday and uh on saturday i'm gonna have two stories one breaking down three reasons why each team could win the big game Beautiful. Garrett Podell of CBSSports.com. He's one of our favorites here on 1010XL. Garrett, I know you're busy this week. Really enjoyed the conversation. Let's do it again right around free agency time, and we'll see what's happening here at that point with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Appreciate you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ryan. Enjoy Super Bowl week. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 24 minutes after the 9 o'clock hour. We'll take you up to 10 o'clock as we do every night. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Coming up next, Jaguar offseason's really going to get into high gear very quickly. As we mentioned, Monday, March the 11th, is basically when NFL free agency begins. That's the negotiation period. And then Wednesday, March 13th, is when the league calendar begins and Penn can meet paper. So we're five weeks, five weeks from tonight, away from NFL free agency. At that point, we will have clarity on Josh Allen. At that point, we should have some sort of clarity on Calvin Ridley. And on the other Jaguar free agents, look, it's not just those two. It's Ezra Cleveland. It's Trey Herndon. It's Dewan Smoot. It's Jamal Agnew. What guys are going to be released for salary cap reasons? You're going to start seeing that in the coming weeks to get ready for Monday, March the 11th. And with that as a backdrop, Mike Gennetti is the founder of SpotTrack. That is the website to go to this time of year. Contract numbers, dead cap money, cap savings, potential contracts in the making. SpotTrack's got it all. They've done it for years. Mike Gennetti is the founder of that website, and we're going to kind of lay out a blueprint to the Jaguar offseason with Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack coming up in just a moment here on Hacker After Dark. We will get much more into Super Bowl 58 as we move deeper into the week. We will go out to Kansas City. We will go out to San Francisco later in the week as well. I can tell you it's early, 
but I'm leaning Chiefs if for no other reason Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes and San Francisco doesn't. I'm not going to say I'm necessarily rooting for Kansas City, but that's at least the direction I'm leaning with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We'll see what happens as the week goes on. But it's all about the Jaguars right now. Let's talk offseason. Let's talk free agency. Let's talk contract extensions. What do the Jaguars need to do? What are they financially viable to do? Mike Gennetti, the founder of SpotTrack, the website this time of year when it comes to NFL free agency, he's next. Hacker After Dark on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, Ryan the Hacker Green here with you. Glad you are with us. All eyes on the Super Bowl coming up next week, but of course... All eyes here in Jacksonville are on the well, the late season collapse, and what are we going to do about it this offseason? With that, free agency is less than 40 days away. That means it is spot track time. That is the best website out there for salary cap information. I love it. And their founder is Mike Gennetti. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how we doing? Busy, but well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Mike, I know you're busy, and thank you for taking time out. All right, I want to talk about the offseason for the Jags. Let's take a look back, Mike. They were 8-3, and three, man, and for a few hours, they were the number one seed in the AFC, and then it got destroyed in front of our very eyes over the last six weeks. What were your thoughts on the collapse here in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's kind of tough to explain. Everything's set up. They kind of you know, had their own destiny in front of them. And, and for whatever reason, that offensive sputtered. And I think the secondary certainly let him down as well. So you, you're in a situation where Trevor Lawrence went from a slam dunk extension conversation to what the heck we do with this entire offense. And that includes notable free agents and some of your offensive line. And uh, I just think you had deficiencies or, or maybe weaknesses show up for those past six to seven weeks that make this a much more complicated offseason than I think many anticipated it was going to be. There's no doubt about that. And look, let's dive in. And before we do that, I assume most everybody listening knows about Spot Track, Mike. You're the founder of it. But for people that don't, tell them about your website. Again, I think it's the best one out there for this type of information. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we're not just in the NFL, we're tracking uh, professional sports contracts and, and team salary caps and luxury tax hits for pretty much every professional sport uh, we can get our hands on at this point. And that includes uh, women's sports and the NHL and soccer and car racing and everything at this point. So uh, certainly this time of year, it's mostly about the NFL and, and running salary cap numbers and projected contracts for free agency. But uh, whatever you, uh, you're you into, we're probably tracking it on SpotTrack. Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack. All right, Mike, let's dive in. The two big ones right off the bat. Josh Allen is scheduled to become a free agent. All thoughts are that he won't get out of Jacksonville, whether that means the franchise tag or a re-signing prior to March 11th. Josh Allen, what type of market is he going to have? What type of money do you expect him to get? Yeah, I just finished a sort of a quasi-rankings for these free agents, and he's fourth on my list. So that tells you everything you need to know about where things are headed for Josh Allen financially. Uh, I think that $22 million franchise tag is a no-brainer, at least as a starting and, and quite frankly, I have a feeling that Jacksonville may be privy to let him play that out. Will he? I don't think so. I don't think he's going to sign that because uh, he knows where things are headed. And and just from a mathematical standpoint, we're talking $25 million a year. So four years, $100 million is what I have his projected contract at right now. So uh, Jacksonville may 
we'll play this thing a little bit because, like I said, there's so many now decisions to make. Uh, but this guy's a slam dunk. He has been now for the better part of a couple of years, and uh, there's at least $100 million in his future at some point in time. If it is four years, $100 million. If it's roughly $25 mil a year, where would that put him among the highest-paid edge rushers in the league? Yeah, top 10, right? I mean, Nick Bosa and those guys are – Thirty at this point now. T.J. Watts in the twenty sevens, the Bo- and Joey Bosa is about twenty seven. So it's in that conversation, uh, six seventh, I think, without looking at right now. But uh, I, I don't. I think that's probably where he belongs. I'm not sure it's a reset the market type situation just yet. But if for whatever reason he does hit the open market, you can bank on him going to the top because there will be ten to twelve teams immediately in on this guy. And that's always a bidding more price tag. If he hits the open market, there will be riots here in Jacksonville from <laughs> Jaguar fans, I can assure you. Mike Janetti, the founder of Spot Track, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Calvin Ridley is the more complicated one, Mike. Now, the thought is, if you were to get a re-signing of Josh Allen done prior to March 11th, you could then franchise Ridley, and then mm-hmm. you would not owe the Falcons a second-round pick if you re-sign him. But if they are not able to re-sign Allen and have to use the tag there, thus Ridley would probably hit the open market, and then it becomes probably an issue for the Jaguars. That's how I see it. That's exactly how I see things. Is is you got to keep this guy around right now because I think you're losing J- Zay Jones off this roster from a cap standpoint. So you're, you're already going to have to replenish this room a little bit as it is. Uh, and I think he showed enough. I know there were some drops and some some missed routes and things like that. But, uh, you know, that's every team right now reevaluating the 2023. The tag's about $20 million. I've got him worth about 17 to $18 million a year. So we're, we're in about the same ballpark if we're talking about that conversation, at least through the offseason. But to me, it's about keeping him inside of Jacksonville's control for at least a few more months to ascertain what they can do with him from from a long-term standpoint. Again, a lot depends on the franchise tags around the league, but, I mean, the free agent crop is very good, but it could dry up pretty quickly. We'll see about Mike Pittman in Indianapolis. We'll see about T. Higgins in Cincinnati, even Mike Evans in Tampa. What are you hearing about potential franchise tag with those other guys? Because if they get tagged, Ridley will just keep going higher and higher and higher. Exactly. You don't want to be the – you don't want to have a situation where he's the – Wide receiver on the market, that's for darn sure. Uh, Pittman's a slam dunk franchise tag. I would say T. Higgins is a more, more probably likely, although their cap situation in Cincinnati is certainly a desire. Uh, Tampa Bay will not franchise tag Mike Evans because because of what he made last year. It's actually more than what this $20 million tag probably comes in at. So they're going to have to figure out an, either an extension or they're going to have to live with him walking in the market in Tampa Bay on March 13th. Um, so that's a name to have out there for sure. But Ridley's going to be in this top five conversation one way or the other. So that's why I'm leaning franchise tag with this player, which means you've got a lot of work to do on Josh Allen in the next couple of weeks here. Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track. All right, I want to get to some of the dead cap numbers and some of the guys that may end up getting released. You mentioned Zay Jones in a moment. But let's go to Trevor now. I mean, Mike, we saw last year Justin Herbert got paid after year three. Joe Burrow got paid after year three. Trevor did not have a great year three by any stretch of the imagination. Would it be cost effective to pay him now and not wait till after year four? Again, they still control his rights for many years. How do you see this playing out with Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville? I don't think so. You know, I thought about it that way as well, right? Should they try to kind of buy low on on their quarterback right now, just anticipating that he's going to find it over the next two seasons, right? The fourth and the fifth year option. 
I don't think that's the way to go because either way you're slamming 150 million into this contract early, right? Whether that's a gigantic signing bonus or two signing bonuses over the next two seasons. I, I think I'm slow playing this thing. I really do. And I understand that he may have a problem with that. And his agent may, you know, try to try to bring up some situations this off season that are going to hurt some, some feelings. But I, I have a feeling that the best approach here is just to ride this out. You're going to exercise the fifth year option, you know, in the 22s, which, which gives you basically three years of control, right? This year, next year, and the franchise tag in 2026. So there's plenty of money to be had here. I just don't think you can put that 150 fully guaranteed at signing out there right now, which is really what the going rate is, knowing that players like Dak and, and others are about to get, you know reset this thing from the top down again. So it's, it's, a, it's a market that won't stop moving. Can you try to sneak in at 48 to 50 right now? And, and maybe that's a value in a couple of seasons. Yes. I'm just not sure I've seen enough to warrant what it's going to take from a guaranteed standpoint and, and a cash standpoint, immediately speaking, to do that right now. Could they give big money to Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, and Trevor Lawrence all this offseason? It's not It's not recommended, right? You generally want to stagger as much as possible, uh, but I, certainly it's doable. There's always ways to massage the cap as needed. It, it's really just a cash conversation at that point because – all of those positions require a ton of guaranteed at signing right now, just based on the going rates in the markets. So um, does the ownership have the amount of cash and want to be able to bleed that much cash up front? Yes. Knowing what the, you know, who they are, but will they do that? I, I just don't think so. To me, that's a two out of three, maybe even a one out of three conversation where the other player has to play out a franchise tag in 2024. Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track. All right, Mike, let's get to a couple of other unrestricted free agents before we talk about guys that have a big cap number that may be shown the door. Ezra Cleveland, Jamal Agnew, Dewan Smoot. I mean, not not the household names that Ridley and Josh <laughs> Allen are certainly, but the Jaguars, Trey Herndon's another one, are going to have some decisions to make with some of these guys what is your thought on a market for a guy like Ezra Cleveland, a market for a guy like Dewan Smoot, if they were to get available on March 11th? Yeah, talk about making a name for yourself, right? Cleveland leaves Minnesota, and why would they trade him in the first place? Well, they didn't want to pay him because they knew this was coming. And certainly when he when he jumped into the onto that Jaguars offensive line, you understood what was happening. It was an upgrade from Walker Little at that left guard spot. Uh, he's a he's a foundationally $14 million player in our system. And where this guard market is going – um, I could see it easily getting to 16 million, 17 million, you know, not unlike what happened with Brandon Sheriff a bunch of, a bunch of years back in Washington. So um, is he, has he priced himself out of Jacksonville? I'm not sure. Uh, most likely he's going to get a, a real nice offer March 11th in that negotiation window. Uh, but that's a player that just absolutely cruised to a big payday over the past 10 or 10 months or so, especially with that trade to Jacksonville. Jamal Agnew, Dewan Smoot. Now, Smoot's got injury concerns, and for that matter, yeah. Agnew does as well. Uh, they're, they're fan favorites here, Mike, but, I mean, dollars make sense, and is there going to be room to keep guys like that? I don't I don't believe so. It seems like Agnew is one of those guys you can probably replace, uh, maybe not intangibly, but certainly on the field, even in the return market. And you're right, Smoot with the injury stuff, you got to be really conscious of that right now, especially where things are headed from an age standpoint. Uh, he was basically on a minimum salary last year with some slight boosts and per game bonuses. That's about as much as I'm doing next year as well, making sure that I can protect myself from any injury that could come back in 2024. Mike Gennetti of Spot Track. All right, let's get into the guys that you mentioned, like Zay Jones. The Jaguars don't have a lot of cap room, 
But, Mike, that could change very quickly if they cut a couple of guys. Uh, Cam Robinson, let's begin there. He's at the top of the list. I think yeah. they saved something ridiculous, like $17 million if they cut him pre-June 1st. I mean, what, what's your thought there on Cam Robinson's future here in Jacksonville? Every time I, I go on the radio or, or write in an article that they should cut Cam Robinson, he gets another contract. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I, so I'm going to zag this time and say they're at, they're they're actually just going to extend him because they every time they play without him, they they're a little bit not you know a little bit worse off. So I realize he's 28 going on 29 here, and you're right, there's a ton to be saved. How about we just take that 16 million that could be saved and make it a signing bonus and just tack on two years here? and keep this guy in the system for a couple more seasons because it's obviously working with Trevor Lawrence. There's certainly a cheaper way to do this, you know, to go younger through the draft. Uh, and they do have a bunch of first, second-round picks on that offensive line right now. I- I'm just going to say they continue to do this with him even through the suspensions, so why not just tack on some money, lower his cap hit that way, and keep him rostered through 2025 or six? Who are some of the guys that could be cut that would save the Jaguars a lot of money? Yeah, I've got uh, Rayshon Jenkins. I've got Zay Jones as a candidate here. There's not too many, honestly. This is not a situation where I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, So we'll see what happens in terms of that defensive line because I think there's some names that could come off the roster there. But for the most part, uh, you mentioned they've got a little bit of cap space. In terms of the rest of the league, I think they're in excellent shape, quite frankly. Uh, So they do have some room to maybe front load some situations. And I have more extensions than I have releases. In, in terms of way to, to clear cap space, right? Let's extend Darius Williams. Let's extend Cam Robinson if possible. Um, and like I said, Zay Jones and, and, and Jenkins free up about $10 million right there. But this is not a cap situation that I would consider dire by any means because you can simply just use cap conversions and restructures to get yourself into a nice and safe landing spot for, for March and, Mar- and April. I'm going to ask you to be Nostradamus here in a second. Before I do that, though, you're certainly the guy to ask. Again, Mike Gennetti, the founder of Spot Track. People talk about the salary cap, and people mm-hmm. talk about, well, the cap doesn't exist. You know, it's all liquid cash. What do people mean by that, Mike? I mean, the salary cap obviously does exist, but obviously people finagle it all the time. Yeah, let me give you a really good example here. So so let's use Cam Robinson right now as the example I just gave you, right? He's got a $16 million salary, base salary. So that's basically what his paycheck will be for 2024 if he stays on this contract. So that is cap that hits in 2024, right? It's a salary that's going to be paid up. If they instead give him a signing bonus, right, and, and hand him that money up front, they can spread it over five years from a cap standpoint and free up $13, 12000000 million by doing that. So that's essentially what I'm saying they should do and uh, extend on a couple of years. That's why the cap seems fake, right? Because it, it, is in, it is running parallel to cash. Yes, cash gets paid. But you can finagle cap over a bunch of years, maximum five years, to make it work for you in the current year. So it seems like it's not real. It is real, right? All $16 million of that signing bonus eventually has to hit the Jaguars cap, and that's what dead cap is, essentially. But instead of taking it all right now, let's spread it out and make it a little easier on us in 2024. You know, I think it's really interesting, too, because, again, you're the main guy in this space, and that's why we love having you on. And you're the first guy that I've heard from that said you don't think the Jaguars are going to be active in releasing guys. You say maybe Zay Jones, maybe Rayshon Jenkins. I think Jaguar fans hearing that tonight, probably a little excited about that because the thought here was they were going to have to release maybe Sheriff, uh, Cam Robinson, Fadakasi. There were going to be a lot of guys maybe let go. You don't necessarily see it that way. 
I don't. This isn't an organization that is using void years right now, which helps your cap situation uh, immensely. And a lot, a lot of franchises are doing that really to the nth degree. So if they're willing to go that route and really start converting some of these salaries, like I just mentioned with Robinson, into signing bonuses, you can free up. Just looking here quickly, you've got four or five base salaries north of $10 million. You can free yourself up probably $30 million of cap space by just keeping guys on the roster and converting their salaries to signing bonuses. So I think that's probably the direction you go. Now, look, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with a few of these position groups that falter down the stretch here, like we mentioned at the top. But uh, from a just from a numbers accounting standpoint, I could get myself comfortably into $35 million of cap space for March 13th with just this roster in tow and maybe a couple of those players falling off like we mentioned. Mike, final question. And again, we're asking you to predict the future here, so we certainly understand that. But you say the Jaguars are in reasonably good, if not great, cap space compared to the rest of the league. Does that anticipate you that or tell you that they're going to be active when free agency begins? Yeah, I would think so. But active could mean keeping their own right maybe these extensions we're talking about get done and get done in a big way in 2024 so that so that they actually save themselves some cap situations down the line i don't expect that's how it's going to be i do think there's going to have to be some uh, addition by subtraction and addition by addition to kind of make up for what we saw happen in 2023 but certainly if they want to go out and make a splash and whether that's depth for that defense or one big name maybe offensively speaking which i think is necessary here they're going to have the space to do it. They can open up an ample amount of cap space to make a max contract if you want to bring like a basketball situation into this. Uh, and there's not many teams that will have that ability on March 13th. So it's a good team. It's a team in contention in the AFC. They've got a quarterback that I think a lot of weapons would want to join. So it's attractive, and uh, they will have the cap assets to do it. So I expect some sort of activity, uh, but certainly there'll be teams going out there with uh, with much more at ammo at their at their asset here very interesting mike Gennetti of spot track mike leave us with this tell the good folks here in jacksonville again about your website and what they can anticipate when they head over there yeah we just completed an entire off-season series discussing all the stuff extension candidates and roster bubble players and ways to clear cap space for every single team in the nfl that's live on SpotTrack.com and uh, plenty more to come as well at SpotTrack on Twitter if you have any questions about any of this stuff. We love it. SpotTrack is a valuable resource. Mike Gennetti does a terrific job. Mike, thank you as always, brother. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. Thank you. And thank you to Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. As again, we like to do a deep dive into the Jaguar offseason. Franchise tags will start being handed out in about three weeks' time. The league calendar begins on March the 13th. Negotiations with free agents can begin Monday, March the 11th. So we are five weeks from today, 35 days from today, until NFL free agency. It'll get here quick, and we'll see about Josh Allen. He says he wants to be in Jacksonville. I don't think he's going anywhere. Now, whether he gets a new deal before the free agent period begins or whether the Jaguars have to put the franchise tag on him was yet to be seen. If they do put the franchise tag on him, what does that mean to Calvin Ridley's future here in Jacksonville? And the Jaguars have a number of other free agents, from Ezra Cleveland to Dewan Smoot to Trey Herndon on down the line. And, of course, what do you do with Trevor Lawrence? This offseason, he is eligible for a contract extension. All good questions, all that will be answered over the coming weeks and months leading into the 2024 NFL season. Well, that'll just about do it 
for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly have a lot of people to thank. Again, Mike Gennetti of SpotTrack for joining us this evening. Thank you to Garrett Podell of CBSSports.com. Always enjoy the conversation with Garrett talking Jags and, of course, Super Bowl 58 between Kansas City and San Francisco. And Dave Campo, Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark as the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys joins us each and every Monday. We will be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Our late night show, ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be? I mean, where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.